Thanks for listening to the Red Pill Current News Podcast where we bring you the news you won't hear on mainstream media. New episodes every Wednesday and Saturday. Visit our website at www.politicalnewspodcast.us. Be sure to follow us on all platforms. We are on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcast, and many more. Now here is your host, the Kentucky Guy. Yep, that's right. It's me, the Kentucky Guy, here hosting the Red Pill Current News Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in for today's episode. Before we get to that, I did want to let you know that we are switching up our platform a little bit. Uh, we are still going to bring you the news each and every time we're up. We're always going to keep you informed on what's really happening, not only in America, but as our world as a whole. Uh, however, we do have a lot of different things going on right now. We have authors coming on and doing interviews. We have mediums coming on and doing interviews. We have other podcasters coming on. We have comedians coming on. So we are changing it up just a little bit uh, because we want to appeal to a wider variety of audience. So if you guys like the platform and how it's going, you can always leave us feedback or even if you want to be a part of the show one day and be a guest on here and have your own interview, you can do that too. Just drop me a line at ol Kentucky spelled out 99 at yahoo.com. Old Kentucky 99 at yahoo.com. Come and join the fun. It's all about all of us working and helping each other throughout this crazy time in America. Once again, I'm the Kentucky guy. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you, and as always, God bless, and God bless this country. And welcome to the Red Pill Current News Podcast. I am your award-winning truth seeker, honest guy, Kentucky guy. I am your host. Hey, thanks for joining us on this beautiful day today. Hope everybody's having a fantastic weekend. And let's see here. If this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button, no matter which platform that you're listening to us on. We are on several. We are on Apple iTunes, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. The list goes on and on and on. Anywhere you can listen to a podcast, you are able to find this show. What we do here is we talk about news, political and current news in the world and in the good old U.S. of A. Sometimes we do have, we do have, special guest on that we do interviews with. I do have a young lady that will be on this weekend. Uh, she is a healer, and she uh, has an incredible story, so she will be on to discuss that with us. Also, for you sports fans and wrestling fans out there, 
I do co-host with Donnie Cage Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. We drop new episodes there every Monday and Friday. Royal Rumble is coming up. A lot of exciting things happening in the wrestling world. Now, here on this episode, we are here on this show. <laughs> we drop new episodes every Wednesday and Saturday, usually twice a week. Sometimes the days don't quite line up like we want them to. However, we do our best in what we can do. There's so much going on in this crazy world of ours. If you ever would like to be a guest on the show or you have any questions for me, feel free to email me at OL Kentucky spelled out OL Kentucky 99 at yahoo.com. That's O Kentucky 99 at yahoo.com. So, all right, folks, let's get into today's episode. There is some crazy things happening. There are some things that are going to make you sick and some things that are going to make you happy. This episode is going to be a little bit all over the place, and I don't want to waste any more time. I think we just need to get into it. First headline of the show. CNN. CNN is a news source historically known to give Democrats leeway on corruption and scandal. However, it has broken the news of the family corruption in the Biden household. They even reported on Hunter Biden's laptop no longer being a conspiracy theory. So my question is, why now? Are they truly turning over a new leaf like this? their new CEO says they are? Or is the threat of Biden <laughs> running for re-election in 2024 not in their game plan, so therefore they've turned on them? I don't know the answer to that. I think it's very odd, very odd, with everything going on with Biden right now, with the uh, the documents can continue to pile up, classified documents, at his home, around baby boy Hunter. So many things are happening that uh, it's, a, it's an odd time for CNN to begin to turn their backs on him. It just is. It's very odd. All right, next headline. This is a good one. New Zealand Prime Minister Arden to resign. The New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Arden announced her resignation on February 7th, citing a need. She's going to be resigning on February 7th. That's just, uh, she announced it yesterday. Citing a need to take care of her own well-being after leading the country for five and a half years. She stated, Quote, I have not been able to find the energy or heart to continue in the role over the summer. Uh, Adrian, who made the announcement while choking back tears, reflected on her time as prime minister, saying, this has been the most fulfilling five and a half years of my life. She emphasized that her decision to resign was not due to any secret scandal or because she believed her party wouldn't win the next election, but because she believed that with such a privileged job comes a big responsibility. The responsibility to know when you are the right person to lead and also when you're not. She will stay on as an MP of Mount Albert until April to avoid the need for a by-election. She has no plans beyond that as of yet and is looking forward to spending more time with her family. A caucus vote for the new party leader and prime minister will be held on Sunday, this Sunday coming. 
Uh, Grant Robertson, a close ally of Erdogan, announced that he would not be putting his name forward for the position of prime minister. Uh, Arden expressed her confidence in her team, stating they are well-placed to take the country forward and contest the next election. Being prime minister has been the greatest honor of my life. I want to thank New Zealanders for the enormous privilege of leading the country for the last five and a half years, she said. Withholding such a privileged role comes responsibility, including the responsibility. Yeah, she, already uh, she also goes on to say that she has spoken to the governor general this morning to, uh, to inform her. In addition to our ambitious agenda that has sought to address long-term issues like housing crisis, child poverty, climate change, we also had to respond to a major biosecurity incursion, a domestic terror attack, a volcanic eruption, and one in a 100-year global pandemic, and ensuring economic crisis. The decisions that had to be made have been consistent and wait. Yeah, so as to my time in the job, I hope I leave New Zealanders with a belief that you can be kind, but strong, empathetic, but decisive, optimistic, but focused, and that you can be your own kind of leader, one who knows when it's time to go. Now, let me inform you just a little bit about this young lady here. Yeah, so Eve, she wasn't a very, very, very good prime minister. Took that country, I don't think that she would have been able to win re-election unless they stole it, like the rumor of her 2020 election. Boy, does that sound familiar. So let me read this article to you real quick. So while the common perception is, at the last meeting, was a meeting of dead men, a popular and competent leader. The reality is a bit more complicated. This was highlighted during an interview on the last stop of her trip in Australia, where a journalist pointed, pointedly asked, what was it like to be more popular overseas than in her own country? Now, this meeting was with Boris Johnson. She was one of the last people to meet with Boris Johnson before he left off. While she brushed off the question, the point remains, Things are not going well for her and her second term. Labor government. A recent poll has shown that the opposition, center-right national and ACT parties, would win next year's election comfortably, while over 50% of voters now believe the country is heading in the wrong direction. This is a far cry from 2020 when Labor stormed home to an unprecedented landslide election victory. Arden was being uh, feeded as a model leader. Well, how did this come? How did it come to this? How, how did we get here? Well, the first thing to note is that the 2020 election was itself an aberration. At the end of 2019, Labor was struggling to implement its political agenda with its coalition partner, blocking more ambitious policies around tax and climate change. In addition, extra spending in areas such as child poverty and and health were not yield results and big schemes to construct affordable housing and infrastructure flop under incompetent management. Commentators wondered whether uh, Adrian would end up as just a one-term wonder. They stole it. They stole it. 2020 was a year of these steals coming to life. Then COVID-19 hit through a combination of Geographical luck and apparently competent management, New Zealand weathered the 
the initial wave, and life largely continued as normal, unless you were a citizen trying to return home. Observing the carnage and the mismanagement elsewhere, voters rewarded the government. In this case, COVID-19 was a welcome diversion, eliminating pandemic management above all other issues and diverting attention from the government struggles in other areas. Yet, the zero COVID approach was only delaying the inevitable. And once, uh, once she began shifting to living with COVID at the end of 2021, the shine began to wear off. Stumbles on issues like availability of rapid antigen testing, workforce shortages, or the response to anti-mandate protests showed that New Zealand was a normal country facing the same difficulties in managing COVID as everyone else. It was no coincidence that this was around the time that her and Labor's popularity came crashing back down the earth. However, COVID-19 is not the only issue that currently dragging her government down. Like the rest of the world, New Zealand is moving on from the pandemic, but even the government is looking to leave it behind in the rearview mirror, as the country has experienced a sharp uptick of infections during the southern hemisphere winter. She has been nowhere to be seen. Much of the consternation of those who cheered her through the policy. Instead, the key issues concerning the voters right now are a cost of living crisis brought on about the highest inflation in three decades, stagnating wages, economic growth, unaffordable housing, a health system running on fumes, and rise in violent crime. Most of these were there in 2019, and many of them got worse over the two years and a half two and a half years of the pandemic. Whether Adrian and Labor are better placed to address them this time is very much an open question. Uh-huh. So she is a part of the deep state cabal, always has been, and your true color. So I just wonder, you know, she made a statement. I read that, I read that statement when I was going through there. How did she put that? My, she emphasized that her decision to resign was not due to any secret scandal or because she believed her party couldn't win. Well, that's not what we just went over in an article from her from her country. <laughs> so, yeah. By the way, I watched the announcement when she announced her resignation. Or basically, the way she put it was, she was not going to run for re-election. When she announced that, the people of New Zealand began to cheer like crazy. You would have thought that they were at a sporting event. This lady didn't have a, unless they would have cheated again, she wouldn't have had a chance to get back in office. Let's just face it. Okay, next headline. This is this is one that's going to take the biggest part of this episode. I'm going to tell you guys something. This is, this, this, <laughs> I, I, I really... I thought I thought I thought twice. This isn't. This should be all over the news. Nobody's talking about this. Even even private news. You know, this is an information war, and I've said that over and over. And this is huge. Nobody is talking about this, and I don't understand why. Because this affects me and you. This affects us all. Not only me and you in America, but me and you in Canada, and me and you in Mexico. Yeah. 
So Joe Biden, dictator from Canada, Justin Trudeau, and the president of Mexico, Manuel Lopez, met at the North American Leader Summit. Behind closed doors, they didn't announce this to anyone. they done this in complete secret. By the way, against the law. By the way, just shredding our Constitution. It's unbelievable. And they formed this document. Now, if you... This is one thing that I can prove without a shadow of a doubt in just a minute. All you need to do is go to the White House website and look for the Declaration of North America, DNA. Get into it. Today, President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, President Joseph R. Biden and uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau met in Mexico City for the 10th North American Leaders Summit. The leaders are determined to fortify our region's security, prosperity, sustainability, and inclusiveness through... Now, this is right off in their website, by the way. Right off the White House website is what I'm reading this. Through commitments across six pillars. Number one, diversity, equality, and inclusiveness. See, that's their number one thing. They know they're not going to get it anymore. They've done war out the climate change. And these people right here and the people at the World Economic Forum, if there's no crisis, they can't scare you and let you give up and make you give up your sovereignty to give them more power. They're not happy. It's not about money to these guys. It's about power. And this is ridiculous. This is un-American. This is a traitor and needs to be locked up and put in jail. Number two, climate change and the environment. Number three, competitiveness. Four, migration and development. Uh Five, health. And number six, regional security. North America shares a unique history and culture that emphasizes on innovation, uh, equitable development, and uh, mutually beneficial trade to create inclusive economic opportunities for the benefit of our people. We are not just neighbors and partners. Our people share bonds of family and friendship and value. Above all else, freedom, just human rights, equality, and democracy. This is the North American Declaration. Diversity, uh, equality, equity, and inclusion is foundational to the strength, vibrance, and resilience of our country. We focus on providing uh, marginal committees opportunities for their full, equal, and meaningful participation in our democracies and economy. To advance these objectives, President Lopez Ordor, President Biden, and Prime Minister reiterated their joint commitment to protect civil rights, promote racial justice, expand protections for LBG, of course, check the faggot, and deliver more equitable outcomes to all. Partnership with indigenous people, we will promote innovative and sustainable solutions that honor traditional knowledge, foster indigenous-led growth, and driven job creation. We will continue our cooperation to build societies with indigenous women and girls can live, learn, and lead without fear from their Katerian working group on violence against indigenous girls, women and girls. An indigenous woman from all three countries will convene in the coming weeks to facilitate discussions about priorities and best practices, including areas of political 
economic, and social development. The three countries also reaffirm our commitment to oh, take a breath, take a breath, Kentucky guy, to reaffirm our commitment to gender equality and empowerment of women and girls and all their diversity by aiming to improve financial and political support for women and girls' rights. Okay, you want women and girls' rights. However, you let these guys that go around and say, hey, today I'm Mary Poppins. Today I'm a little Fruit Loop. I'm a girl. I'm a transgender. I'm actually a girl. Even after all these years. Uh-huh. Yeah. And now I want to go play a girl's sport because I'm a girl. I'm a ginger. Come on. You've ruined women's sports already. And you talk about equal rights and opportunity. Justin Trudeau is doing everything he can in Canada to hold on with everything, all his might, to remain a dictator. Climate change and environment. Mexico, the United States, and Canada recognize the critical nature of taking rapid and coordinated measures to tackle the climate crisis and response to its consequences. This includes our achieving our respective 2030 nationally determined contributions under the Paris Agreement and working together with other countries to keep a 1.5 degree sea temperature limit within reach. To roll buy-in for ambitious cuts to emissions, we will come together to align approaches on estimating the social cost of greenhouse gas emissions. We will continue to implement and build on commitments from, and I'm reading, you know, I hope you guys understand, this is the actual document. This is the Declaration of North America. I'm reading to you. I want you guys to understand that this isn't an article. This is this is the actual document. North America's Leaders Summit on Climate uh, Mitigation, Adaption, and Resilience while reviewing our focus on reducing methane emissions from all sorts with a new focus on waste-waste methane. We will explore standards to develop hydrogen as a regional source of clean energy. We will move swiftly to accelerate the energy transition by deploying clean energy solutions, increasing the reproduction or the production and, and adaptation of zero emission vehicles in North America and transitioning to cleaner fuels in partnership with the Jesus people. We will reiterate our pledge, tech, biodiversity to work towards ending defosterization and doing our part to conserve 30% of the world's land and water by 2030. Huh. These guys are amazing. You will own nothing and you will be happy. You will eat bugs. And if you don't want to eat bugs, you go eat your neighbor. This is ridiculous. Man, oh man. These guys make this, that crazy nut Alex Jones seem somewhat reasonable these days. The next one is competitive. We seek to deepen our regional capacity to boost regional competitiveness. The three countries will seek to forge stronger regional supply chains as well as promote target, targeted investments in key industries of the future, such as semiconductors and electric vehicle batteries, which will be critical to advance electric vehicle development and infrastructure. We will convey public-private dialogue and map out supply chains to address common challenges and opportunities. Critical minerals are an essential uh, component to accelerating North America's clean energy trans transition. Each country will review and map out existing and potential reserves of critical mineral resources in the region while taking care of the environment, respecting local communities, and adhering to high ethical standards. To support innovation, job creation, and workforce development, 
the three governments commit to working with private sector, civil society, labor, and across North America to foster high-tech entrepreneurship, promote small and medium-sized enterprises, and strengthen technical education. We will also consider trilateral approaches to promote sustainable, inclusive jobs and develop the workforce to meet our climate commitment. Our climate commitment. Our climate commitment. We have America starving. Can't afford to go to work and put gas in their car. And we're worried about our climate commitment. Migration and development. Today marks the six-month anniversary of the Los Angeles Declaration on Migration and Protection, a bold new framework for regional responsibility sharing that 21 leaders endorsed on the margins of the Ninth Summit of the Americas. The three countries of North America each make ambitious commitments under the Los Angeles Declaration, including working together to advance labor mobility in North America, particularly regarding regular pathways, and have been delivering on these commitments. Since June, Mexico, the United States, and Canada have collectively welcomed record number... Yeah, they have. Oh, my... Breathe, 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 breathe. Welcome a record number of migrants and refugees from the Western Hemisphere under new and expanded labor and humanitarian programs. That's why they're sleeping in tents in El Paso on the road, Sleepy Joe. Yeah, you're very much humanitarian. That's why you got these kids in cages away from their family. Yeah, you're, you're, you're humanitarian, all right, buddy. Today we affirm our joint commitment to safe, orderly, and human migration under the Los Angeles Declaration and other relevant multilateral frameworks. This includes assisting host communities and promoting migrant and refugees integration, providing protection to refugees, asylum seekers, and vulnerable migrants, strengthening the asylum capacity in the region, expanding and promoting regular pathways for migration and protection, addressing the root causes and impacts of irregular migration and forced displacement, and collaborating to counter exponophobia and discrimination against migrants and refugees. How, why are you not, if you're going to talk about these guys, why are you not talking about programs to stop the cartel, okay? Stop the human trafficking. Stop the fentanyl from coming across. No, no, I know. I get it. You don't want borders. You want it to be all global, one world order. I got it. I get it. I get it. I've read your little playbook, Joey. I got it. Okay? But you try to package this all nice and neat at the beginning. But once we get into this, we see and we know just how corrupt you are. Nothing in here to stop the drugs coming through that are killing our kids. To stop this cartel who are taking our children and our women and, or, you know, the migrants and uh, trafficking them. It, it's sickening. Pedophile. Sick. Now more than ever, we need to identify and address the root causes of irregular immigration and forced displacement. Mexico, the United States, and Canada commit to supporting countries across the Western Hemisphere to create conditions to improve the quality of life, especially in uh, marginalized communities that are vulnerable to both forced internal and regional migration displacement. I, I don't know uh, if I can finish this. <laughs> health. Trilateral health cooperation will focus on launching an updated North American plan for animal and pandemic influenza to improve prevention, preparedness, agility, and to provide rapid response to health 
emergencies in North America. North America Health Security Working Group, how about that, will develop and launch a new, revised, as flexible, scalable, and cross-sectoral platform to strengthen regional prevention, preparedness, and the response to a broader range of health security threats that include influenza and beyond. As we emerge from the acute phase of the COVID-19 pandemic, we also recognize the resilient health systems, including a strong health workforce, are the foundation upon which effective pandemic preparedness and response will be built. We will continue efforts to build strong and more resilient health systems that meet the broad range of health needs in our country. Okay. You know, I mean, that's the who, right? World Health Organization. I mean, we, we know we know what they want. Now they're just putting it in our face. But all oh, they had to do it in secret, though. No Congress, no nothing. He doesn't have that kind of power, folks. Promise you that. Regional security. Mexico, United States, and Canada will focus on strategies to bolster our shared uh, continental security against domestic, regional, and global threats, including cyber threats. Security cooperation will continue to abide by our common understanding that respect for human rights and the rule of law contribute to a more secure North America. Our security uh, cooperation includes actions to disrupt criminal actors and associate crimes across our shared borders, including money laundering, child sexual uh, exploitation, firearms, and human trafficking. What about what about drugs? Nothing about drugs. Nothing. Nothing, nothing about Wow, okay. We also are taking a consent approach to the collection using processing, retention, and protection of passenger name record data to strengthen our shared security perimeter and the safety of our citizens, including advocating, check this out, advocating for the global adoption of standards and recommended practices of the International Civil Aviation Organization on PNR data. We will continue our North America drug dialogue and further advance our our cooperative international efforts to address the growing global synthetic drug threat as the United States takes the chair in 2023. We will enhance trilateral work to address the use of precursor chemicals in the production of illegal substances in North America and to disrupt drug trafficking. At least they're mentioning it now as well as strengthen public health approaches to prevent harm, reduction, treatment, and recovery. As both natural and human-induced hazards and disasters increase risk to vulnerable populations, we will continue to work together to share training and best practices to keep our people safe and address emergencies, including natural and other disasters, recognizing the differential impact disasters have on women and girls. We aim to integrate a gender perspective in these efforts. Of course you do. And the last thing, thank God I'm done with this. Looking forward, the commitments made during this summit are rooted in a shared vision for a more uh, equitable, just, inclusive, resilient, secure, and prosperous North America and shared responsibilities to achieve more equitable outcomes responsive to the needs and aspirations of our citizens. As we work to implement these commitments in the upcoming year, we seek to model a democratic and sustainable path based on trust to promote inclusive prosperity and security. Mexico, the United States, and Canada look forward 
to building on this progressive at the 11th, 11th meeting, which will be hosted by Canada. Boy, oh boy, have you thrown up any in your mouth while I was going over that? They don't have the power to do this. Biden don't, Biden, you know, the president only has, the president really don't have any power, man. I mean, to be honest with you, they really don't. They don't have any power. And I just, uh, I, I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I do not get it. And I'm sorry if I got loud on a couple of those. It's just, there's so much going on. And I just, uh, I, I just, I, it makes me sick. Let's move on to another headline here. That one took a while, I know, but let's, let's move on. Senator Ron Johnson, the Newsmax. Biden docks massive diversionary uh, div- operation. But nothing about President Joe Biden's classified documents case makes sense. Senator Ron Johnson, that was Newsmax. And the case stinks to high heaven. After Biden's lawyers discovered the first set of classified documents in a private office in November, most people would expect him to cooperate voluntarily and scour every inch of his resident, resident uh, Johnson Toad, Rob Schmidt on tonight, make sure there is no other classified documents and announce it all at once, Johnson said. But we have this drip, drip, drip of revelation as more documents are found over time. It makes no sense, you know, in this massive diversionary operation against the larger wrongdoing, he adds, I have no idea, but to me, the entire story right here sinks to high heaven. I'm just, I've just got my antenna up. I'm suspicious. Will Democrats use this case to throw Biden under the bus as he is perpetually unpopular in polling? Well, that might be a part of what's going on here, Johnson said. This is a way they're going to throw Joe Biden under the bus and, again, distract all the other wrongdoing. I just sit back amazed at what is happening internally. How the mainstream media completely ignores that. Bias of the mainstream media. How they completely ignore their own publicity in the political divide in this country. So again, I'm just suspicious of the entire story. So I've got something to add to that. So what if, what if, right? What if there was subpoenas put out by the good guys, by Trump and what have you, and they told the Biden and his lawyers, his handlers, we know you've got these documents. We know you've got them. Go get them. Here's a subpoena or face charge. Like I've said, we there's so much going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. We just don't know. And it would not surprise me. I mean, that's just one scenario. There, there, there are several scenarios that go along with, I don't know. It, it just, it's something to really think about. Why now? Right? Why now? God. Next headline. Former Department of Intelligence, one of the guys that I wrote about in my book. By the way, the book's still out, still for sale on Amazon, anywhere you can buy a book. America, the land of the sleep. I do talk about this gentleman quite a bit. The former DNI, John Ratcliffe, the Newsmax, Garland, Mar-a-Lago raid, a strategic mistake? Question mark. Attorney General Merrick Garland made a strategic mistake when he had the FBI raid former President Trump Mar-a-Lago home as classified documents discovered and now President Joe Biden's home and private office show former DNI John uh, show. <laughs> Sorry. 
Let's see here. Uh, Trump's director of national intelligence said much of the focus has been on the legal implication of the documents found in Biden's position after he had left office of vice president in 2016. But he added, Garland made a real mess of the whole situation when he engaged in an unprecedented raid of a former president. Garland used a statue that was never intended to be applied to a former president, Bradford said, and I think it was intended to lead to an unprecedented prosecution before it hit a speed bump by the name of Joe Biden, he said. Biden's own classified document problem was immediately pronounced uh, pounced on by his critics who demand Biden get the same treatment as Trump when his house underwent a day-long raid. His defenders, along with mainstream media, said the cases were different because Biden voluntarily turned over his documents uh, when the, his lawyers found them and that there were far fewer of them. Both examples were the opposite of how Trump treated his situation. But as more and more documents were found in more and more locations, Biden has begun losing the sympathy of much of the mainstream media, except for those that lean furthest left. Radcliffe Claude, he also said this whole issue of classified documents with respect to both presidents is not the real issue. The most significant issue, he said, is the content of the document. In Biden's case, the influence peddling allegations are very real. He said, noting that many of the documents related to Ukraine and China were both he and family members have business ties. All of this is very real, Radcliffe said. There is a national security concern, and that's really where the focus should be. Uh-huh. I love that guy. Love that guy. He uh, He's always spot on. Let's see here. So let's move on. Let's move on here to move on to the World Economic Forum. Business and political leaders gather for the World Economic Forum's annual event say that they see the world buffet by high inflation and high interest rates that central banks have pushed through to combat it. That has created a threat of recession and led some big companies to trim their spending. Yet some see, re- some see reasons to think rising inflation has peaked that could have, as some businesses leaders hope, uh, precede a soft economic landing. Alternatively, another rise in interest rates in interest rates could lead to a more prolonged downturn. Meanwhile, geopolitical rivalry, technology, decoupling, and protectionism have increasingly altered the world's business and political landscape, presenting potential risk and reward for uh, participants said. Among Wednesday's highlights from the annual winter gathering. Check this out. Pfizer CEO Albert Valeria said the world is unprepared for the next global health crisis. A U.S. and Europe race to offer clean energy subsidies will speed up efforts to combat climate change, a senior U.N. official said. Labor Secretary Martin Walsh said the U.S. needs foreign workers to fill labor shortages. Can you believe that? Driverless trucks will soon hit the highways, predicted Volvo truck by Volvo truck, head of technology. The UBS chairman cited un- unappreciated 
financial risk facing international banks, the chief executive of London, Arthur Airport, that he expects global travel won't be back to normal until the end of the year. Wow. That was the highlight from yesterday. Today's Thursday, by the way. I'm a day behind. That was the highlights from yesterday. We're going to touch on a couple of them as we go through. Next headline, which is very, very odd. What is BlackRock doing at the World Economic Forum sub? The hedge fund CEO, Larry Fink, sits on the World Economic Forum's Board of Trustees. In Davos, Switzerland, where the whole town has been transferred into a kind of a Disneyland for billionaires, and there are pop-up stores or pavilions set up throughout the resort town. Behind this reporter in today's report is one for BlackRock. Now, BlackRock normally doesn't have this building here in Davos. It's just a temporary design for the enormous hedge fund. They have over $10 billion, $10 trillion worth of assets under management. They are a massive company, and they've got both sides covered. They're into war with investment in Lockheed Martin and General Dynamics. They're into peace afterwards with investments into rebuilding countries. That they have been that have been leveled. BlackRock CEO is on the World Economic Forum's board of trustees, so you can bet that the policies uh, promoted by the secretive conclave here in Davos do whatever is best for the BlackRock shareholders. Larry Fink is a bit of a ideological himself. You think a billionaire like him would be a turbo capitalist, but BlackRock is actually a major proponent of cultural markets. Although they themselves, as I mentioned, are deeply invested in military companies, he promotes cultural Marxism and environmental extremes. Worse yet, he actually weaponizes the investments that he oversees. It's amazing to me to see them at the World Economic Forum, which claims to be about doing good for the world. We walked into BlackRock, this is this reporter telling this story. We walk into Black. by the way, give credit for this story to Rebel News. We walk into BlackRock's pavilion, past the fleet of blacked-out Mercedes-Benz SUVs parked out front to see if they could answer any questions about what the company is doing in Davos. Despite the door being open and people coming and going, they told us it was a closed venue and kicked us out. Despite asking some gentle questions, we couldn't get any answers. BlackRock is willing to put on a prepared presentation for you, but they won't answer any questions. Questions like, why should billionaires be developing policy, foreign, domestic, environmental, social policy, and secret club meetings in Switzerland and some ski resorts? By the way, who gave them a seat at the table? And when they talk about global citizenship, who died and made Larry Fink king? He's just a money manager. Since when did he, when did we elect him to write policies under which we all have to live. And he's right. That reporter's spot on. That's why I like Rebel News. Rebel News, the only, my only thing against Rebel News, everything I've fact-checked on Rebel News has been straight on. You guys know I fact-check everything, or my team does, before we ever put it on a podcast. But everything I've done, it, it, they've been straight on. The only thing the only thing about these guys is they're slow. They don't, they do not, oh, how do I put this? They do not, they don't upload as often or as much 
as I would like for them to. And that may be just a personal thing. That may, yeah, that may be just a personal thing. Elon Musk. Elon Musk attacks the World Economic Forum. As the annual meeting of World Economic Forum got underway in Davos, Switzerland, Twitter CEO Elon Musk tweeted late into the night about the meeting that brings together hundreds of the world's top leaders. More than 2,700 leaders, including 52 heads of state, are spending this week at the Davos meeting, where they'll discuss ways to manage the global system. The coordination of the global elite through the WEF has sometimes invited suspicion and conspiracy theories. On Monday, Musk replied to a tweet by Dilbert, creator Scott Adams, who shared a video of the WEF founder, Paul's Paul Swab, using the phrase, Master the Future. Yeah, this guy's, this guy's, uh, he's, he, he's the one who actually created this event years ago. He, he, he's on another level, man. This, this Paul Swab, wow. Uh, in the meeting's opening speech, Master the Future doesn't sound anonymous at all, Must said, with an eye-rolling emoji. How is the WEF Davos even a thing? Are they trying to be the boss of the earth? Question mark. The Tesla and SpaceX CEO previously downplayed suspicions of the WEF in exchange with Adams on December 30th. Quote, my reason for declining the Davos invitation was not because I thought they were engaged in a diabolical scheming, but because it sounded boring, he told Adams during a back and forth. Also on Monday night, Musk tweeted, quote, we shouldn't be obsessed with uh, WEF Davos, but they take themselves too seriously. That making fun of them is awesome. Adding an emoji wearing sunglasses. Let's continue tweeting about the WEF and Davos into the early morning hours. Around 4 a.m. on Tuesday, he replied to the WEF Twitter account itself, which had tweeted a graph appearing to show a decline in fertility rate. Population collapse is an essential problem for humanity, not overpopulation, must said. The theme of this year's Davos meeting is cooperation in a fragmented world. Uh, titles of some of the presentations include Disrupting Distrust, The Clear and Present Danger of Disinformation, Dewalling Responsible Capitalism, and 100 Days to Outtrace the Next Pandemic. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, uh, I'm i telling you, these guys that are in this meeting, there's just there's something else, man. Uh, so the Pfizer CEO, he discussed climate, health, and spending legislation and they talk about how russia is losing the war but they're not he also goes on to say that the government haven't learned their lesson from the pandemic don't understand it just don't understand where these guys get the gall to think that they're in you know on the last episode if you've missed it you need to go back and listen to it there's people there from the u.s i still don't understand why they're there we have congressmen that are there and we have the head of fbi why is he there and why is this guy here Walmart, let's see. Walmart CEO says companies should make sustainable products more affordable. Walmart's job is to design the lowest cost system that is also more sustainable, according to the retailer's CEO. Many shoppers and product manufacturers need a financial incentive to make more sustainable or climate-friendly choices. Walmart Incorporated Chief Executive Doug McMillan and other executives said, some shoppers buy with the climate in mind, but there's also a very big part of the population that is under price pressure and can't afford to make some choices that might cause them 
to pay more. Speaking during a panel discussion at the World Economic Forum in Davis, Switzerland, Mr. McClendon said, Our job becomes one where you must design a system that the easiest path, the lowest cost path, no negative trade-off associated with it is actually the more sustainable path, he said. Buyers and other executives at Walmart, the U.S. largest retail by revenue, work that thinking into their product assortment decisions every day, he said. Well, man, you probably, probably do not want to be a part of a crew that blows up our freaking food processing plant. Yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, it makes more sense not to do that, right? Volvo truck, head of technology. This, I mean, I don't can you imagine driving down the road and seeing one of these? I, I just don't get it. Volvo Trucks head of technology predicts driverless trucks on the highway soon. Volvo's focus on pushing driverless technology in trucks in the fully autonomous truck without safety drivers could be on America roads within five years, the chief technology said. I, I just, and I'm not going to get all into that, but wow. First of all, why? Why do you need driverless truck oh wait i see you want to you don't want human part of your ai agenda right am i am i on some am i uh-huh yeah i'm on some right yeah of course okay so let's see let's see let's see let's see dun, 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 dun. i want to i've got here we go q a with claus swab the founder of the world economic forum this will be the last part last segment of this episode i just want to go over this with you the past year brought war in europe surging in inflation and energy crisis all while the world is still fighting the covid 19 pandemic and related disruption company executives are evaluating global supply chains and considering what they could make closer to home the wall street journal's editor-in-chief matt murray and journal reporter Thomas Grennan sat down with the World Economic Forum founder, Paul Schwab, in November as he prepared for his 53rd annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland this month. Mr. Schwab, age 84, launched the WEF as a young academic in 1971, but is now an independent international organization under the Swiss government, similar to the Red Cross Edited expert. Okay, the Red Cross. We'll, we'll have to do an episode on the Red Cross so you guys understand what that means. So, question. When you think about the state of the world and the themes of this year, what stands out to you and what are you focusing on? Mr. Swab, quote, When we look at the crisis we are in, I see it less as a crisis in the usual sense. I see it as a whole transformation of our global system. Let's just take the economic and political side of this transformation process. If we take the economic side, I would say we will go through a very difficult three to four to five year transformation period. And the forces behind us, of course, the war in Ukraine. And even if we solve the war, it will be reconstruction. You, you have the energy transformation or transit. You have the reshaping of the global supply chain. You have the post-COVID effect, which some people say are lower productivity, and of course, the need to invest more in resilience. If you take all those economic forces 
they bite into the purchasing power of people because at the moment there are costs. I'm very optimistic about the energy transformation to provide access to cheaper energy and electricity. But short term, it means investment. If you take the war, it means cost. If you take relocation of supply chain, it means cost because you don't buy any more from the most efficient and cheapest source. You buy from the most reliable source. So if you take all these factors together, I, I haven't any scientific base, but I would probably say 1% to 3% of our global GDP. If you are a company, you write it off, your balance sheet and the shareholders are those who suffer. If you do it with the, within the economy, it bites into, say, purchasing power of people. You could say inflation is a fever curve of this transformation process. We have to address this transformation, not with a crisis mentality, but to have simple solutions for very complex problems. But we have to be looking long term. Yeah, we... <laughs> so a couple of times we've had these conversations. I've asked Mr. Claus about what the impact of a real economic downturn might be on the tension between stakeholders and shareholders. And here we are with the economy facing some real headwind. Do you see any retreat from the movement towards stakeholder capitalism? Quote, I think it's the wrong approach from the beginning on to create a choice between shareholder capitalism versus stakeholder capitalism. The company is not an economic unit. It's a social organism which has to play a role inside society. This generation expects from a company not just to serve shareholders but to take care of people on the planet. The company who keeps this in mind will have much better talent in the future and will have much higher attractivity with its customer. Question, but there, are, there is some tension. You can't fully take care of your people if you're laying off 13,000 work. Quote, no. In your practical decision as a CEO, you have to make compromises. At a certain moment, the balance may shift more to the short term, which is to emphasize, let's say, the profitability of the company. And other times, it may shift more to the long term. There aren't many people in the world who talk regularly to as many CEOs and world leaders as you do. What are you hearing and feeling about the economic outlook for 23? I wouldn't relate it only to 23. We are in a restructuring of the global economy. When you have a restructuring in a company, you write off the cost on your balance sheet and shareholders are suffering and sometimes employees have to go. But when you have a restructuring of an economy, it bites into the purchasing power of the people. We should not look at the global economy with a crisis mindset. Once again, in a short-term approach, we have to manage it in a strategic way. This transformation period, which may last three or five years, and will be socially very painful. You made the unprecedented decision last year to ban Russia from Davos. We immediately followed the global sanctions policies, so we froze our all our relationships with Russia. And that continues? Yes, that continues. The first time I came into contact with the crypto world was at Davos. After the collapse of FTX and the broader challenges over the four, past four or five months, what do you make of the market? Quote, I'm a big fan of new technology. So we, at the Economic Forum, 
were always very engaged in the development of crypto. But it's a fact that the technical, technological development is so complex and so fast that sometimes it's very difficult for political to comprehend the significance of a certain new development and even more difficult to create the necessary boundaries around it. So I'm not surprised about what happened. Crypto will remain, but now we need we have to make sure crypto is integrated into or at least made contingent with our traditional system. Now you're working on bringing the World Economic Forum into the Metaverse? A year ago, when Metaverse had changed its name, I became curious. What is the Metaverse? Is and Could it have an impact? As you did with crypto, so I asked many people, what does it really mean? Everybody gave me a different answer. And for me, it became very clear it's the capability to meet in a virtual three-dimensional room. I mean, you have two levels. First is just to meet around a table with your avatars. And second is to combine it with an immersive experience. And that's what we will do here at Devo. Yeah, they are bringing that to where you don't even have to leave your home to go to Davos. All right, folks, I'm telling you, that guy, is, he is off his rocker. He is off his rocker. I have some more to report on Davos. I have some more to go over with you. There, I have a lot more to go over with you. May do an extra week. Like I mentioned, we do have an interview coming up on the next episode. May do an episode in between. There's so much going on. We need to really, really pray for our country and for our men and women. There's just so, this, this declaration of North America really has thrown me for a loop today. I just found out about it today. So, all right, guys, you've been listening to the Red Pill Current News Podcast. With your host, the Kentucky Guy. And as always, God bless and God bless America. Thank you all.